And here's what he says. He says, the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. I love the man that can smile in trouble, that can gather strength from distress and grow. You know, culturally, I think we may agree with this. You read this and you sense like, yes, this is true. Right? If, if you have to work for something, if you have to strive for something, if it takes difficulty and hardship and from that, something is produced that you get to hold on to, you value it. You hold it close. But though we may agree with it, I don't know if culturally we value this. Right? Just think about it personally. Do you value hardship and adversity? You don't, right? I know I don't. We don't value it. And the problem is, is our natural human tendency, which makes sense for us, is to seek comfort and to remove adversity. This is what so often we can kind of fall into as life is about gaining comfort for ourselves in many different ways and in many different spheres and removing as much adversity as possible. That's kind of the trap that we fall into. And what happens, though, is inevitably life is going to bring adversity, right? Every single one of us has been through adversity and different struggles and different trials. And many of you right now are going through things that are very difficult. This is life, and this is what happens. And the question that this, this quote brings up to you is that when you face adversity, when you face trial, when you face distress, does it crush you to where you blame other people? and you blame God, or does it empower you to overcome? Are you the person that actually, in the face of adversity, in the face of trial, in the face of distress and suffering, you're actually looking to learn from others and to trust in God instead of blame others and blame God? Have you ever been the person that smiles in trouble, as Thomas Paine says, and gathers strength to overcome what you're going through? See, the reality is that adversity creates value, right? All the things, think about all the things that you care about most in life. I guarantee almost all of them took adversity, took struggle. There was distress involved, right? You think about your degree and you're really proud of your degree. That took a lot of struggle. And many of you are still in that. You're feeling the struggle, right? Your career, that took adversity. Your relationships takes time and work and adversity. That championship trophy that you got in high school that you can't give up because you never thought you'd win the championship. It was against all odds, and it's really cheap, but it's like so valuable to you. Your health, right? In order to maintain your health, which is valuable to you, it takes work. It takes adversity. It takes struggle. But probably none of us welcome adversity. When it comes, we're not like, I'm so glad that it's here. That would be kind of weird, honestly. You're like, you know, I'm going through a really hard time, but I'm really excited about it. You know, it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. But see, one of the problems that we have is that when we face adversity, which is going to come, and we're going to be distressed, and we're going to go through trials, and we're going to go through suffering, and we're going to go through all different types of things that life brings, because we live in a culture that I'm defining as like a microwave culture, it becomes really difficult for us to actually be the type of person that Thomas Paine talks about, the person that actually has optimism and can gather strength and smile in the face of adversity because we want everything, right? Tell me if you resonate with this with me because this is how I feel. We want everything immediate and we want it quickly. We don't want to wait. We want it fast. So we have 
microwaved relationships. We want them fast. We want to put in the work. We have microwaved dreams. We want to achieve them now. We don't want to wait. We have microwaved health. You know, we start to work out, and then all of a sudden we're not seeing the effects. We're like, well, I guess it's not working for me. We have microwaved community. We have microwaved spirituality. All of these things, we've fallen into this trap of thinking that things are supposed to come easy. They're supposed to come quickly. And if they don't come quickly, and if they don't come easily, then we just kind of redirect our attention to something else. And so what happens is, is because we fall into this, I fall into this as well, we have this microwave culture that is telling us that we need to be achieving and gaining things quickly and immediately. We have this microwave mentality, and so when we face adversity, we have, a, we have difficulty navigating it. We have difficulty going through it because it doesn't go away right away. We can't fix it right away. And what happens is, is when you have a microwave mentality and you settle for that, and you don't recognize it in yourself, you settle for the quality that microwaving things brings which is a lack of quality. And you're sitting here thinking, Carter, I only eat via the microwave. Like, this is how I live my life. And I know, because I never made a meal until I got married. So I know the quality that microwave brings. It can sustain you, but I guarantee you a home-cooked meal is way better than the microwave. And yet what happens is we get trapped in this mentality where we settle for things immediate and fast, and we want things immediate and fast. If they don't come immediate and fast, we're gonna redirect our attention to something else and just keep trying to gain things quickly throughout our lives. And we settle for the quality that that brings, and it does not bring value. It does not bring the things that we really cherish and we really hold on to. And the, and the question that that brings to us tonight is, okay, so how in the world then do I overcome adversity? How do I overcome in the midst of the fight? Because my life is going to bring a lot of fights and a lot of battles and a lot of struggle. How do I overcome? And that's what Jacob is going to teach us tonight in this passage that Rachel read to us. You know, previously in the, in the life of Jacob, he, he arrived in Haran. He's running away from his brother Esau who wants to kill him. And when he gets to Haran, he meets Laban, his father-in-law, soon-to-be father-in-law, and he falls in love with one of his daughters, Rachel, and he's enamored with her. And so he serves Laban for seven years in order to marry Rachel. And on the wedding night, he gets married. He thinks that he has married and consummated the marriage with Rachel, but he wakes up in the morning and it's Leah, and he's not happy about this, okay? So he realizes now he's married the wrong person. This is not the person that he wants to marry, and so he serves Laban for another seven years so that he can marry Rachel. And now here's the problem. He, yes, he's now married to Rachel, who he wanted to marry, but now he's also married to her sister. This is awkward. This is not good. And it says that, that Jacob actually hates Leah. It actually defines Leah as hated. She feels alone. Probably her sister doesn't like her, her husband doesn't like her, maybe even her father who used her to get more time out of Jacob to serve him. And the, the, the attention redirects our focus away from Jacob into Leah, and here's what it says to Leah. Leah is struggling. She is in adversity and she is battling. And God looks at her with compassion. He begins to bless her, and what he does is he opens her womb so she can have children and she has the first three children, she doesn't understand how she's supposed to use God's blessing. She recognizes that the things that have been given to her are from God, but she uses them for herself. Because the only thing she wants in life, the only thing she cares about, and she wants to microwave it, she wants to get it right now and immediate, is the affection of her husband, which is understandable. So she names her first three children 
in some relation to her husband, thinking that she can use her kids to get her husband's love. And it doesn't work, and it takes three times, and she finally gets it on the fourth child, which is Judah. And she names Judah, I will praise the Lord, has no association with her husband, Jacob. And she realizes that the blessings of God have been given to her as they've been given to us to be used for the benefit of others and to bring praise to God. And Judah, her fourth son, where she finally gets it, is where Jesus comes from, his line. It's a beautiful story. So after that, as the story kind of begins to unfold, the dysfunction in the relationship is not fixed. Not only between Rachel and Leah and Jacob, but the extended family. And and Jacob's had enough. And so he wants to get out. He wants to leave. He wants to get away from Laban. He wants to go home. And so secretly, he takes his wives and his children, all of his possessions, and everybody that works for them, and he sneaks away in the night. And when he sneaks away in the night, Laban finds out about it, and he's not happy. And so he's like, you can't just peace out like that. This is not how it's going to work. So Laban comes after. And the way that it reads is like, he's coming to do Jacob harm. Maybe kill him. He's certainly going to fight him. He's not happy. So as Laban is coming after Jacob, who is running home with all of his family and all of his possessions and all the people that work for him, God comes to Laban in a dream. And he says, don't do anything good or bad. Like, just literally don't do anything to Jacob because I have a really important plan for him. And so Laban comes and he meets with Jacob and they talk it out and essentially they decide that we're going to go our separate ways and never see each other and never mess with each other. So Jacob continues on home and it sounds like things are going really well. This is like exciting. He's returning home. But if you've been tracking with the story, you know what he's returning to. He's returning to his brother Esau which is why he left in the first place, because his brother wanted to kill him, because Jacob stole his brother's birthright and blessing, because he's a deceiver. And so Jacob has this plan. He says, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send some messengers ahead to go meet Esau before myself and the entire family and everybody else gets there to try to patch it up, to let him know that we're not coming for a fight. We actually want restoration. He's genuine. He's going to offer all these gifts and all this stuff. So the messengers go out, they talk with Esau, they come back, and they say, Jacob, here's the the deal. We found Esau, and we had a conversation. Jacob's like, this is great, awesome. What do you say? He's like, well, um, he said okay about the meeting, but here's the problem. He's coming with 400 men. And so Jacob is thinking what you're thinking, like, I'm about to be murdered. This is what's going to happen. He's coming with 400 men. It's not like, this doesn't signify peace, right? He's like, he's coming with an army. And what Jacob's fear is, is that not only is he going to kill him, but he's going to kill his entire family. Because everything that is with Jacob is representative of what Jacob stole from Esau, which is the blessing and the birthright. So he is concerned that everything he has and everyone he loves is going to be killed. And so he has this ingenious plan. He says, I'm going to take everything and put them in two camps. So he, he has so much stuff, and he's been blessed so richly by God that he can set up two camps. And his thought is, when Esau comes in with the 400 men, he's going to have to pick a camp. And once he picks one camp, the other camp can at least run away and survive. So he's got this great plan. He's trying to figure it out. He is distressed. He is upset. He is working this through. And he decides in the middle of the night that he's going to leave with just his family and probably a few possessions and things. And, and so he leaves. And he says he crosses the Jabbok River. He's on the edge of the, the territory of Israel. 
And he sends his family and his, his kids across the river, and he's on the other side of the river. And as he is there about to cross to meet them, something happens, and uh, he's not uh, ready for it. He gets attacked by a man. He gets, a, he gets into a fight. And you see, Jacob, as he's at this moment, as he gets into this fight, he has been really humbled by God because he prays this prayer right before this that lets you know that God has been working in him. God has been changing him, his mind and his heart. He was very selfish initially, but God's been changing him. Here's what he prays right before he gets into this fight. He says, I am not worthy of the, le late, the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For only with my staff I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. He, come a, he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do good. Make your offspring as a sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And so he's, he's processing this, and he prays this prayer to God, and he's genuine. He's recognizing all that he has, and he, he realizes that God has richly blessed him, that he didn't actually do anything to deserve the blessings that God has given him. And he's pleading with God. He's saying, God, don't just rescue me, but rescue my family and my children. I'm asking you to remember your promise to me. And he sends out all of these gifts to Esau to try to fix it. Actually, he sends 550 animals. It's a lot of animals. He gives three waves of blessing and, and merchandise and possessions and all these things to try to patch it up. And as he's trying to escape, he gets in a fight with this man. You imagine what he's thinking, right? As he gets attacked by this man that he doesn't know, that grabs him, he's probably thinking, like, is this Esau? Like, did he, like, sneak up around the river? Somehow he grabbed me? Is this some, some random guy that wants to, to steal from me? Is this some random guy that just likes to wrestle? You know, like, I don't know what's going on here. And he gets in this battle and he gets in this fight. And here's what it says. It says that he fights this man, which you don't get his identity yet, all night long. He fights him until the breaking of the day. So he's processing who is this man as he's fighting him as this long and exhausting fight. And you can tell, actually, that Jacob is pretty strong, that he is determined, right? He, he's at his last leg. He has no more energy. He's exhausted. He's been fighting. He's been battling. And he's really nervous about what is going to happen to his family and the people that he loves and he employs. And he is fighting with every ounce of strength that he has. And he fights this man all night long. And then here's what it says. It says, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled him. So this man who has been wrestling Jacob apparently has great power. Either he's an expert wrestler, or he's a BJJ artist, or he's divine on some level. Because you're trying to understand who this man is. Because the way that it reads is this man attacks Jacob, but then as he's fighting Jacob all night long, at some point he realizes that Jacob is not going to give up. He's going to keep fighting. He's not going to stop. And so he touches him in the hip, one of the most crucial parts of the body for wrestling. He touches him in the hip, and his hip goes out of socket. 
So this man is powerful, supernaturally powerful, in fact. And what you realize is that this man that is fighting him has been defending himself the whole time. Because if he has the power just to touch someone's hip and pop it out of socket, he could have submitted Jacob at the very instant, but he let Jacob fight him. And he's been defending Jacob this entire time as Jacob has just been scrapping all night long, fighting, not letting go, everything that he has. He's been tenacious as he's been going after this man. The man has been defending himself, and then he pops out Jacob's hip. And so Jacob is stuck. Right? He, his hip is out of socket. He, he surely cannot win this fight now. So the natural thing would be to let go, right? You've been submitted. You've lost the fight. Your hip's out of socket. You're in a lot of pain. But it says that Jacob doesn't let go. Here's what he says. Then he, the man, said to Jacob, let me go for the day has broken. Not only has the day broken, is the sun rising, but like you're broken, right? Like you don't have a hip. Like why are you still holding on? Remember a, a couple weeks back, uh, talked about how in scripture, whenever you read the night, when something happens in the night, it oftentimes is symbolic for distress. And so it's saying here that Jacob, as he begins to fight this man, this man is defending him off, even though he initiated the fight, it's causing you to feel the distress that Jacob feels. I mean, he is battling. He is fighting. He is going through some serious adversity and he is fearful and he is giving everything that he can to this fight. It's a perfect illustration of what it feels like when you're battling, right? When you actually go through adversity, when you're struggling, when you're facing hardship, when you're anxious and you're stressed and you're feeling all the pressure and you're, you're nervous about what tomorrow is going to bring in the next week or the next few months because of the current situation that you're in. It feels like you're in the night, right? It feels like you're just full of distress, and you're fighting, and you're fighting, and you're fighting, and it doesn't feel like you can prevail, right? It feels like you're just going to continue to fight and fight, and you can't stop, and this is what Jacob does. And so Jacob responds to this man as his hip is popped out, and he says, let me tell you why I'm not letting go. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So what's happened is, in the midst of this fight, Jacob has realized that he's not wrestling some random stranger who just wants to grapple for the night, right? He's not fighting Esau, so he knows that Esau still weighs off, and as he's been fighting, he has realized that he is actually fighting God. He's fighting the divine being, the one that he just prayed to previously, asking for deliverance, asking for God's intervention in his life as he's at his wit's end, he realizes he's fighting God. And so when the man, who is God in the flesh, says to him, why are you still holding on to me? I mean, your hip is out of socket. It's over. He says, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. Because at this moment in Jacob's life, he realizes that he has nothing left. There's nothing else that he can do. And so he's actually pleading with God in prayer. 
He's asking him, God, I am not going to let go to you in the midst of this battle, in the midst of this fight, until you bless me. He's not asking for physical blessing here, right? He has enough physical blessing. He's actually willing to give it all away to Esau so that their relationship can be rekindled so he can survive and his family isn't killed as well as he's coming with 400 men. He's not asking for physical blessing. He's asking for deliverance from the situation that he is facing, he's saying, God, will you just please be gracious to me? I know you've given me so many things I don't deserve. I mean, I have so many possessions that I was able to divide them into two camps, and I have children, and all these things, and I'm about to lose it all. Will you please bless me, and I'm not going to let go until you do. And here's what the man says to Jacob. He said to him, what is your name? It's an interesting question, right? And he said, Jacob. Remember, Jacob's name means deceiver. This is the label he's been living with his entire life. And he's actually proven that as, in fact, his character, he has been deceptive to try to steal and to get things that he wants for his life. And he says, my name's Jacob. I'm a deceiver. It's who I am. I'm a sinner. (laughs) I'm broken. I'm messed up. I know. And then he said to him, the man says, your name's no longer going to be called Jacob but actually Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. See, this man who is God in the flesh looks at Jacob and he says, what's your name? And Jacob says, my name is a deceiver. It's what I'm labeled as. It's what I'm known by. And he says, your name is now going to be Israel. And what Israel means is may God's strength prevail. He's been fighting with God. He's been battling with God, and God has changed his name as Jacob has been holding on to him, and he's not going to let go until God blesses him. And he comes and he says, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to give you a new identity. You're no longer going to be labeled as deceiver. You're no longer going to be labeled of this name that you hate because it's true of who you are and how you act. You're now going to be called Israel, which means may God's strength prevail. See, he's had his name changed here as he's been fighting with God. And this is the most powerful moment in Jacob's life. He has been radically transformed here. He's assumed a new identity. He has a new name. This is going to change everything about who he is. I mean, he's had these moments before. We talked about it as he fell asleep one night. He had this dream, and he saw the ladder connecting heaven and earth, and he saw Jesus upon the ladder. And this was the start of this spiritual process in him as he's being changed and God is beginning to grow him into the man that he wants him to be and he's beginning to establish Jacob's trust and his faith in him but this moment right here is the most powerful moment in Jacob's life when his name is changed and he has a new identity he is now identified as someone who God's strength has prevailed in his life despite who he is and despite what he's done because to be honest the situation he is in is his own doing because he treated his brother like garbage and he stole from his brother. That's why he's feeling this fear and this distress and Jacob looks intently at this man when he changes his name and he says in verse 29, he says, please tell me your name. And he said, the man said to him, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Another way of reading this in the Hebrew is that the man looks back at at Jacob when he says, hey, what's your name? And the man looks at Jacob and he says, you know what my name is. It's the way that the Hebrew reads to us that 
God is looking at Jacob. He knows, you know who I am. And then he blesses him. He's going to give him deliverance. And it says in verse 30 that Jacob can now finally see clearly. He called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face. He knows who he's been wrestling with. And yet my life has been delivered. Jacob has come face to face with God. He has fought him throughout the entire night. And he has held on even when his hip was out of socket. And he was broken down and he had nothing left. And God looked at him. He says, I'm going to give you a new identity. I'm going to change your name. I'm going to bless you. And you know who I am. I've been here with you the whole night. I've been fighting with you this whole night. And this moment changes him. You see, Jacob is realizing that as a child, he was promised that God had a plan for him, that he was chosen, and that God was going to use Jacob in great and powerful ways, and he's been doing everything to mess it up. And here he recognizes that God is going to continue the good work in him that he began, and he's going to be faithful to his promises. And he is going to fight with Jacob when he is battling. And Jacob is a walking testimony now going forward to his family and to his children and to his employees and to Esau when they're going to reconcile here soon because that's going to happen. God intervened and he removed the distress and the adversity and he brought healing to that relationship. Jacob is a walking testimony to every single person that he meets that in, with God you can overcome through the strength of God. I mean, his name is even that. So when you meet him, he's like, no, 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 I'm no longer Jacob. And you used to know me as deceiver. I'm not that anymore. My name is Israel because God has shown his strength in me. You know, what's interesting is how God chooses to transform Jacob, right? Did you pick up on that? He's, he's in distress. He's facing turmoil. He's facing adversity. And God doesn't come to him in a dream again. He did that one time. He doesn't come to him in a dream. He doesn't just kind of like in his prayer say, okay, thanks for praying this one time. It's done. It's over. It's going to be all good. God initiates a fight with him. Isn't that interesting? Jacob wasn't looking to fight. He initiates the fight. I'm sure Jacob wasn't excited about that. Right? He's probably like, this is the last thing I need right now is to fight this man who turns out to be God. What's interesting too is that when God is fighting Jacob and he knocks his hip out, the hip is actually one of the most pivotal parts of who you are. And so what happens is as he returns to Esau, he's walking with a limp, which means even if he wanted to try to fight Esau, he has no chance because he doesn't have a hip. It's out of socket and he's walking with a limp. He has made him vulnerable to the thing that he is most fearful of. He has made him vulnerable to the adversity that he's facing. So the question is, if God chose to transform Jacob through fighting him, why did he do that? Why didn't God just like fix it? Jacob prayed one prayer, and now it's good. Why didn't he come to him in a dream? Why didn't he make it easy? Instead, why did God come to him and initiate a fight and a battle to where he actually has a physical marker of what that looked like in his life. I mean, is it because God wanted to see if Jacob was worthy of blessing? He's like, okay, we're going to fight for the night, and if you can hold on, then I'm going to bless you. If, you. if you deserve it, if you earn it, if you work hard enough and you fight me, if you give up too early, nope, no blessing. Esau, here he comes. Is that the reason? Was, was God maybe reluctant 
to bless Jacob. He's like, Jacob, you've done some really messed up stuff, so we're going to fight, and I'm going to you know, kind of determine throughout that time whether or not I actually want to bless you. You know, the reason that he fights Jacob, and this is the way that he's going to transform him, is because in the fight, you find an even greater blessing. You see, in the fight, he finds the thing that he needed most, which is this access and this relationship and this knowledge that God is with him and for him, and that God is going to be faithful to him. I don't think he was excited about it, but yet as he's in the fight and he's fighting God, it humbles him, and he submits, but he doesn't let go, and it produces in him prayer. Right, as he's holding on, as he's fighting to God, and he's been humbled, and, and God looks at him, he says, are you going to let go? And he's like, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I'm, I'm going to hold on. He's, you can tell even in that that he has been transformed. He realizes that he cannot overcome in his own strength. He can only overcome if God intervenes and delivers him. It is because of the fight that Jacob realizes that he should not let go of God that he needs to cling to God, especially in adversity. It is because of the fight that he realizes that prayer actually works, that prayer brings deliverance, and God is listening, and he will intervene. It is because of the fight and in the fight that Jacob is transformed into a new man, and he has a new identity. It's all because of the fight. Because God initiates this with him so that he may transform him. Not only that he may remove the adversity and help him through this situation, but that he might change. That he might realize that he should only trust in the strength of God. That he might realize that prayer actually matters and it actually works and God is actually listening. That he might recognize that his identity has been changed because of God's grace and his love and his faithfulness in his life. And so he leaves limping and it's obvious that he's been transformed. Everyone that's going to come across him, he's going to see this limp, and they're going to say, hey, man, what happened to you? And he's going to say, listen, I know it sounds weird, but I got in a fight with God. They're like, oh, yeah, I know. I get fights with God all the time. Like, I actually fought him, and he popped my hip out. But here's what I learned. I learned that I should never let go of God, and I learned that prayer works because God has intervened, and he's delivered me, and he's given me a new identity. I'm no longer a deceiver. Actually, my name is Israel. I know it's going to take a little time for you to get used to calling me Israel, but I'm no longer Jacob. My name is Israel. So here's what Jacob reminds us of some very important truths about the fights that we will go through and that we face in life. And the first one is this. That when you are in a fight and a battle and facing adversity, it is not God's judgment. It is actually God's grace. That's really important to remember. When you are fighting, that is God's grace to you, not God's judgment. He's not mad at you. It's not consequences for your actions. Secondly, is that when you are in the fight, when you're facing adversity and suffering and struggle, look for God because he's there with you. He's with you in the fight. He's next to you. You're probably wrestling with him. Third, that when you are in the fight, cling to God in prayer. Wrestle with God in prayer because he's listening and prayer matters. Hold on to him in prayer. And then the fourth thing is that the fight changes you 
That's the reason that God allows these things to happen in our life, and sometimes he initiates them, as he did with Jacob. It transforms you, and it should actually transform you in obvious ways. Maybe your hip's not going to be popped out, but it should be evident to other people that you have been clinging to God, that you recognize that the fight is not God's judgment, but his, his grace, and you've been pleading with him in prayer, and that it transforms you to where other people are recognizing that in you, as they did with Jacob. And you're probably thinking right now, like, okay, Carter, so you're saying that the fight is God's grace. In the fight, look for God, wrestle with God in prayer, and that the fight should transform me in obvious ways. And then here's what you may be thinking in the back of your mind, because I know this is what I think. But okay, that sounds great because that's what is obviously true in the life of Jacob. I see that clearly, but like, this is Jacob. Like, he's in the Bible right? Like he had a very unique experience with God and God was uniquely present with him many times over. I mean, just a little while ago, we talked about a dream with angels on a ladder. I mean, he's a patriarch of the faith. And who am I? (laughs) Right? Like I'm just a person that's seeking to know more about God. I'm just a person that just an average everyday Christian. I mean, why would God care about me in the same way that he cares about Jacob? God had a huge plan for Jacob. Of course he intervened, and of course he transformed them, but what about me? I'm on the same level as Jacob. Why would he intervene with me? Well, here's the, the truth, is that God not only cares about you, but God loves you. You, are just as important and just as valuable to him as Jacob was. And he proved it because God in the flesh is not only seen here with Jacob as Jacob wrestles God, but is seen in the Gospels, in the person of Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. And, And God in the flesh, Jesus, actually wrestles God in the dark at the Garden of Gethsemane the night of his betrayal. And he's praying with God and he's wrestling God in prayer. He's actually asking God, like, can you take this adversity away from me? Like, I don't want to go suffer in his human nature and his flesh. He does not want to be crucified and whipped and tortured and beaten. And yet he submits to the will of God. But see, his wrestling with God in prayer is not for himself. It's actually for you. It's for me. And then he submits to the Father's will and And he's crushed on the cross, and he's actually wounded, too. And you know where he's wounded? He's wounded right on the side. And his blood is shed, and he's killed, and he's put in a grave, and three days later, he comes forth victorious, resurrected. You see, Jesus wrestled the Father in prayer, and he submitted to the Father's will, and he was crushed, not for his own blessing, Not that he might be delivered for his own sake, but that he might be delivered from death back to life for you and for me. That we might be blessed by the fight that he fought. And if you believe this, I mean, if you believe that God in the flesh and the person of Jesus Christ fought a fight that brought him to death as he paid the sacrifice and the penalty for your sins and then was resurrected on the third day victorious, revealing that he was in fact God in the flesh, so that people would look at him and, and not ask the question like, hey, what is your name? They would say, I know who you are. You're God. 
When you believe that, that transforms you. It makes you realize that God loves you and that he has not only forgiven you, but he is going to be faithful to you. Because what it causes you to realize is that your name has been changed. You're no longer labeled as a sinner. You are now labeled as a saint. You're no longer labeled as a stranger to God. You are now labeled as a child of God. Because Jesus has fought for you and he has secured your blessing. And when you realize that, it should change the way that you face adversity. It should change the way that you face the battles and the fights that you endure in your life. You don't need to be sitting there feeling crushed, feeling like God is judging you and he's pouring out consequences for your actions or blaming other people. You can actually smile, you can face trouble, you can gather strength, and you can find power to overcome, not in your own strength, but in the strength of God. And so when you face the fights of your life, you actually can be like Jacob. You can recognize that it's God's grace to you, that God is there with you in the battles that you face. You wrestle with God in prayer because you know that he loves you and he's invested in you and he's listening and he is going to continue the good work that he has already begun in your life. And then lastly, you recognize that it should change the way that you encounter other people. It should be obvious that God has been transforming you. So don't be discouraged by what you're going through because Jesus has already fought for your blessing and that is secure and that is done. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you have fought for us. God, that you have forgiven us that you have changed our name from stranger to child, from sinner to saint. That you have purchased our redemption and our forgiveness because of what you've done. Because you wrestled Jesus with the Father on our behalf. Because you submitted to his will and you were crushed and pierced in the side and laid in the grave and you came forth on the third day alive. That we might not look at you and say, what is your name, but we might know that you are in fact God and that would change us. Lord, would we experience even now the power of your presence that in the midst of the battles that we're going through, we look for you, we cling to you, and we know that this is not your judgment, but it's your grace. Would we look for ways to share that truth and that reality that you are strong for us and you are faithful for us and you will continually be faithful for us with others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.